PenPod, internal medicine podcasts from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Hi, this is Katie Gutenberg. I'm a second-year endocrinology fellow. Today I'll be talking to you about the evaluation and management of thyroid toxicosis. First, let's consider a case. A 59-year-old woman presents to the ED with palpitations, difficulty concentrating, night sweats, and a 20-pound weight loss. Her temperature is 99.1, heart rate 107, blood pressure 152 over 83, respiratory rate 18. Her physical exam is notable for a diffusely enlarged thyroid gland without nodularity, a thyroid brewery, and exophthalmos. Her TSH is 0.01, T4 is 14.4, and T3 is 2.3. Thyroid toxicosis refers to a clinical state that results from inappropriately high thyroid hormone of any cause. Hyperthyroidism is a form of thyroid toxicosis due to inappropriately high hormone synthesis and secretion. In the setting of a suppressed TSH, both T4 and T3 should be measured. T3 may be elevated in isolation in the early stages of disease or in the setting of an autonomously functioning thyroid nodule. A normal TSH almost always excludes hyperthyroidism. Exceptions include a TSH-producing adenoma or thyroid hormone resistance. According to clinical practice guidelines from the American Thyroid Association, if physical exam is consistent with Graves' disease, a radioactive iodine uptake in thyroid skin is not needed to confirm the diagnosis. If Graves' disease is suspected but the diagnosis is not clear, an uptake and scan should be obtained. In addition, a thyroid scan should be obtained in patients with Graves' disease and the presence of thyroid nodularity. Thyroid receptor antibodies and thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins can also be measured if Graves' disease is suspected but the diagnosis is unclear. In Graves' disease, radioactive iodine uptake is increased with a diffuse pattern on thyroid scan. In patients with either a toxic nodule or toxic multinodular goiter, radioactive iodine uptake is increased or normal. Thyroid scan shows focal uptake in one or more nodules with suppressed uptake in the remaining thyroid. Radioactive iodine uptake is suppressed in patients with thyroiditis, in which inflammation leads to release of preformed thyroid hormone. This includes painless, subacute, and acute thyroiditis. Painless thyroiditis often occurs in the postpartum period and is more common in patients with a personal or family history of autoimmune thyroid disease. Subacute thyroiditis presents with moderate to severe pain in the thyroid, often radiating to the ears, jaw, or throat. The gland is firm, and ESR is almost always greater than 50. Patients with acute thyroiditis are typically euthyroid. However, patients occasionally develop destructive thyroid toxicosis. Acute thyroiditis is usually caused by a bacterial infection. Radioactive iodine uptake is also suppressed with ingestion of thyroid hormone and in patients who receive contrast in the preceding one to two months or who have a diet unusually high in iodine. If iodine exposure is suspected but cannot be confirmed with history, urinary iodine can be measured. Graves' disease is an autoimmune disorder in which TSH receptor antibodies stimulate thyroid growth, increase vascularity, and increase thyroid hormone production and secretion. Graves' disease can develop at any age, but is most common between the ages of 30 and 40 years. Graves' disease is more common in women, in patients with a family history of Graves, and in patients with other autoimmune diseases, such as pernicious anemia and type 1 diabetes. The thyroid typically feels diffusely enlarged, often two to three times normal size. A bruin thrill may be appreciated on exam in severe cases due to increased vascularity. 
Graves' ophthalmopathy is present in about 25% of patients. It is characterized by lid lag, lid retraction, and exophthalmos. Early signs and symptoms include eye irritation and excessive tearing. Patients with bilateral ophthalmopathy and thyroid toxicosis do not require evaluation for the etiology of eye disease. However, unilateral exophthalmos, even when associated with thyroid toxicosis, should raise concern for the possibility of an alternative cause. Smoking is a strong risk factor for the development of ophthalmopathy. Radioactive iodine may worsen pre-existing ophthalmopathy. This can be ameliorated with glucocorticoid treatment. Infiltrative dermopathy occurs in fewer than 5% of patients. It is almost always accompanied by ophthalmopathy. It's characterized by hyperpigmented, non-pinned iteration of lower extremity skin, commonly over the pretibial areas and dorsa of the feet. The cause of the characteristic pretibial location is unclear, but is most likely trauma-dependent. It is postulated that the pathogenesis of Graves' ophthalmopathy and dermopathy is T-cell-mediated. T-cells release cytokines that stimulate the production of glycosaminoglycans by fibroblast. The, the accumulation of glycosaminoglycans causes edema and disrupts muscle function. Thyroid acopaki refers to clubbing of the digits associated with long-standing thyroid toxicosis, and this is uncommon with early treatment. Medications that induce thyroid toxicosis include amiodarone, lithium, and iodinated contrast. Type 1 amiodarone-induced thyroid toxicosis is iodine-mediated. Iodine-induced hyperthyroidism typically occurs in patients with an iodine deficiency goiter and underlying thyroid autonomy. This is referred to as the Jod-Bastow effect. Onset may occur within months to years. Type 2 amiodarone-induced thyroid toxicosis is due to thyroiditis and is the most common cause of amiodarone-induced thyroid toxicosis in the United States. Lithium can also induce thyroiditis. For both, onset typically occurs after a year or more of treatment. In patients with underlying thyroid autonomy, administration of iodinated contrast can induce or worsen thyroid toxicosis. Beta blockade should be given to elderly patients with symptomatic thyroid toxicosis and to other patients with resting heart rate greater than 90 or coexisting cardiovascular disease. Other patients with symptomatic thyroid toxicosis may benefit as well. Propranolol, tenolol, mertoprolol, and natalol may all be used. Propranolol and natalol may block T4 to T3 conversion at high doses. Esmolol is the preferred agent for patients with severe thyroid toxicosis or thyroid storm due to its short duration of action. Patients with Graves hyperthyroidism should be treated with radioactive iodine, antithyroid medications, or thyroidectomy. While any treatment modality can be considered, the presence of certain factors may favor one modality over another. For example, antithyroid medications should be considered for, with, for patients with a high likelihood of remission. This includes patients, especially women with mild disease, small goiters, and negative or low titer thyroid receptor antibodies. Radioactive iodine or surgery should be considered for women who are planning to become pregnant, although pregnancy should be delayed for at least six months after receiving radioactive iodine. The preferred therapy for patients with a toxic multinodular goiter or toxic adenoma is radioactive iodine or thyroidectomy. On occasion, long-term low-dose treatment with methimazole may be appropriate. Non-functioning nodules or nodules with suspicious ultrasound features should be evaluated prior to administering radioactive iodine. Patients with mild thyroiditis can be treated with beta blockade alone. 
In addition, NSAIDs may be given to patients with mild subacute thyroiditis for pain relief. Corticosteroids should be given to patients who do not respond to initial therapy and to patients with moderate to severe symptoms. Methimazole is generally the preferred antithyroid agent, except during the first trimester of pregnancy due to the risk of serious hepatocellular injury with PTU. Methimazole taken during the first trimester of pregnancy is associated with aplasia cutis of the scalp, as well as coanal and esophageal atresia. Women taking methimazole should be switched to PTU during the first trimester. Methimazole should be resumed in the second trimester. PTU is also frequently used for the treatment of thyroid storm because it decreases T4 to T3 conversion. A typical starting dose is 10 to 30 milligrams daily for methimazole and 50 to 150 milligrams three times daily for PTU, although higher doses may be necessary. The most common adverse effects are agranulocytosis and liver dysfunction. Approximately 1 in 300 patients will develop agranulocytosis. Liver dysfunction is more common with PTU than methimazole. Significant elevations of serum transaminases to threefold above the upper limit of normal are seen in 4% of patients taking PTU. PTU can also cause fatal hepatic necrosis. Methimazole hepatotoxicity is typically cholestatic. Rarely hepatocellular injury is seen. White blood cell count and LFT should be obtained prior to initiating antithyroid therapy. Antithyroid medication should not be started in patients with a baseline absolute neutrophil count less than 500 or liver transaminases more than fivefold the upper limit of normal. If patients develop a sore throat or fever, antithyroid drugs should be stopped immediately and white blood cell should be, count should be measured. Because agranulocytosis occurs suddenly and patients are typically symptomatic, white blood cell count is typically not monitored on a routine basis. Some monitor LFTs every six months in patients taking PTU, although routine monitoring has not been shown to prevent severe hepatotoxicity. PTU should be discontinued if transaminase levels reach two to three times the upper limit of normal and fail to improve within one week with repeat testing. PTU may also infrequently cause antineutrophil cytoplasmic antibody positive vasculitis, arthropathy, and a lupus-like syndrome rarely can occur with either methimazole or PTU. So back to our case. Your patient presented with clinical and biochemical evidence of thyroid toxicosis. Because her physical exam was consistent with Graves' disease, a radioactive iodine uptake and scan was not obtained. After white blood cell and LFTs, white blood cell count and LFTs were obtained and the patient was counseled about the risks of antithyroid therapy, methimazole 20 milligrams daily was initiated. Her methimazole was weaned over the next 12 months and ultimately discontinued. She remains euthyroid five months later. Let's consider another case. A 67-year-old man is seven months status post-heart transplant. An MRI of his thoracic spine obtained for acute onset back pain while in the hospital revealed a thyroid nodule. Thyroid ultrasound confirmed a 1.5 centimeter mixed cystic solid left lower lobe nodule. His TSH was 0.01, T4 6.7, T3 0.9. Given his suppressed TSH and normal T4 and T3, you diagnose your patient with subclinical hyperthyroidism. The risk of atrial fibrillation for patients with subclinical hyperthyroidism is similar to the risk for patients with overt hyperthyroidism. 
Although increased cardiovascular and all-cause mortality has been demonstrated in some studies, others have shown conflicting results. Thyroid hormone stimulates bone resorption. Overt hyperthyroidism is associated with increased bone turnover and increased risk of osteoporosis and fractures. Most studies have demonstrated decreased bone mineral density in postmenopausal women with subclinical hyperthyroidism, but not in men or premenopausal women. Patients with subclinical hyperthyroidism have an increased frequency of carotid artery plaques and stroke. In addition, patients often report palpitations, heat intolerance, and anxiety with a reduction in quality of life scores. Some studies have demonstrated increased incidence of dementia in elderly patients with subclinical hyperthyroidism. Subclinical hyperthyroidism should be treated in all patients 65 years and older if the TSH is less than 0.1. Treatment should be considered if the TSH is between 0.1 and 0.5. Subclinical hyperthyroidism should also be treated in patients younger than 65 years old with a TSH less than 0.1 if heart failure, osteoporosis, or symptoms are present. Treatment should be considered in menopausal and asymptomatic patients. Treatment should also be considered for patients younger than 65 years old with a TSH between 0.1 and 0.5 if heart disease, osteoporosis, or symptoms are present. Treatment is not recommended in other patients younger than 65 with a TSH between 0.1 and 0.5. So back to our case. A radioactive iodine uptake and scan demonstrated increased uptake with a non-functioning nodule. Thus, the etiology of your patient's subclinical hyperthyroidism is most likely Graves' disease. You initiate therapy with methimazole 10 milligrams daily because your patient is older than 65 years old and has a TSH less than 0.1.